Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. We are moving into a new sermon series. We finished up 1 Peter, Living Hope in Troubled Times, last week, and we're moving to the book of Proverbs. We've entitled this series, Walk Wisely. Walk wisely. And if you've read through the book of Proverbs at any time in your life, or particularly recently in your life, you know that it is full of pithy statements, insights, understanding, guidance, instruction, all of those things that are supposed to help us make good decisions with regard to our lives. And I was thinking about how in the world do we move from a series that uh, focuses on suffering and difficulty and how to follow Jesus written to a church, and then moved to a series that kind of focuses more on an Old Testament wisdom book. What's the, what's the distinction there? What's the connection? Maybe a better way to put that. And last week I talked about the fact that the enemy, Satan, wants to destroy us. He wants to devour our lives. He wants to push us away from God. He wants to make us of no effect in our spiritual lives. And I'm just going to be honest with you, I've watched some people over the years who have fallen away from faith. I've watched some people be destroyed by sinful behavior. I've watched some people in churches drive other people away. And you know what I find most fascinating or maybe most instructive? A lot of those people who Satan has destroyed, who Satan has devoured, who Satan has attacked, he's done so through everyday, ordinary, common, foolish situations and decisions. If you think back to all those people in your life that have just royally messed up their choices and decisions, most of them, it's not because of some huge theological failure. Most of them, it's not because Satan came out of the ground and devoured them in some physical real sense. Most people, it's because of a series of poor decisions after poor decisions after poor decisions that led to some great folly and some really terrible choices in their lives. And what we discover in the book of Proverbs is a book of instruction and guidance that if we learn to put it into practice, apply it to our lives, might protect us from some of those foolish uh, decisions and those unwise choices. I'm thankful for much of the Bible. I'm thankful for all the Bible. Let me, let me pause that. I'm, I'm not sure if you want to retract that or edit that out, Gary. I'm thankful for all of the Bible. Uh, but I'm thankful for specific parts of the Bible for specific reasons. In the book of Genesis, we discover who we are and who God is. The law, we discover what God expects. The prophets, we see God's warnings for moving away from the law. We learn that in the book of Jeremiah. The New Testament, you have the Gospels, which are the stories about Jesus. Then you have the letters, which is instruction from apostles to specific churches. That's where we were with 1 Peter. Wonderful books like the book of Revelation, which is apocalyptic. You have the Psalms, which is one of the most glorious books in all of the Bible for how it leads us to worship. And then you have some of these wisdom books that are a little bit different in the way that they're related to us. You know, you have, you have Job and you have Ecclesiastes and you have Proverbs and, and they don't 
particularly fit in a historical category or in a prophetic category or in a category, say, that leads us to worship. In fact, one commentator, Derek Kidner, put it this way, We should do Proverbs a poor service if we contrived to vest it in a priestly ephod or a prophet's mantle. For it is a book that seldom takes you to church. Like its own figure of wisdom, it calls across to you in the street about some everyday matter, or it points things out at home. Its function in Scripture is to put godliness into working clothes, to name business and society as spheres in which we are to acquit ourselves with credit to our Lord and in which we are to look for His training. Or to put it this way by Warren Wiersbe, the message of God's truth is made for the marketplace, not the ivory tower. And we must share it at the head of noisy streets. The point is, the book of Proverbs is not going to necessarily guide us in how we sing or what we do in our church worship. It's not designed to, to give us guidance with regard to God's law. Not in a specific sense anyway, in, in, ter in terms of his moral law in the Old Testament. What Proverbs is designed to do is help us take what we know about God and what we know about what God expects in our relationship with him connected to church and live it out every single day of our lives in the interactions with neighbors. How about in your home and the interactions with, between your, your, you and your spouse? There's much in the book of Proverbs about marriage. There's much in the book of Proverbs about the sanctity of marriage and, and staying unified and staying away from adultery. There, there are things in the book of Proverbs about not being too loud or about answering fools or about not answering fools or about pride or any other number of things that affect our everyday decisions and our everyday circumstances. And so what we're going to try to do over the course of the next several weeks to several months is unpack some of the pr primary themes in the book of Proverbs that help us get a perspective of how God wants us to live inside of situations and circumstances that we're going to face every single day. Let me just give you a, a piece of very good advice. Uh, some over the years have decided to read a proverb a day. 31 days in, in many months, not every month, month, but there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. Maybe over the next three months, June, July, and August, which is probably the three months we're going to deal with the book of Proverbs, would you commit to reading a chapter of Proverbs a day? It's okay, today is June 2nd, so if you start today, you only have a couple of days to catch up. If you're watching at home and you haven't started yet, then you've got a few days to catch up, or don't even worry about catching up. Just start today on Proverbs 1 and read along with us and read a proverb a day and let God's wisdom speak to you and guide you about daily interactions, relationships, or circumstances, or decisions. By the way, we all need more wisdom. But we get wisdom from a specific manner in which we look at this wonderful text of Scripture. I've chosen two specific verses for our key text today. The first one comes from Proverbs 1-7 and also from Proverbs 9-10. I'll just go ahead and begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 1, and then we'll read 9-10 and unpack these verses of Scripture. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, 
Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you'll turn over a couple of chapters to chapter 9, verse 10. Solomon continues, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. First six verses are just kind of a purpose statement. Here's what it's for. It's for us to know understanding and insight and wisdom from God's Word. The first verse of chapter 1 gives us the context or the setting. This does have a role in redemptive history. Solomon was the primary author and compiler, though he was not the single author. There's several other authors throughout different parts of the book of Proverbs. It's very likely they even drew from some outside biblical sources for some of the Proverbs later on in chapter 22 and chapter 23. And, and so what does that mean? It means Solomon is the one that put this together or began the process of putting the Proverbs together. It's going to make a lot of sense as we close our sermon later today. So Solomon is the one we're listening to. The one that the Bible says when he was named king as a young boy, he could ask for anything. You remember that story? God gave him the privilege to ask for anything. And what did Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom, insight, understanding. And for many years of Solomon's life, he applied that wisdom and understanding to leading a kingdom and leading, uh, leading the people of Israel. It's a beautiful testimony, Solomon's wisdom and, uh, and understanding. How are we to apply this book? Well, here's what I would like you to do. In this sermon, I want us to look at three particular themes that flow out of the verses we've read. Three themes that are going to underscore really all of what we're going to do and apply from specific Proverbs in the weeks ahead. The first one is this, the theme of relationship. Notice this, when, when uh, Solomon says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then he says later, the fear of the Lord... In verse, chapter 9, verse 10, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. It, it, that statement, that phrase, the fear of the Lord, is something I've been living with and praying on and reading through in Scripture for several months now, leading up to this plan to preach through the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It means, very simply, folks, that we have an obligation to respond to God appropriately. A relationship with God, and by the way, the word for knowledge, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge in both 1.7 and 9.10 is the Hebrew word da'at. And when we think of wisdom, knowledge, and insight, this is going to make sense. When we think of those words, we tend to think of it from the perspective of academia, that's not, not always wrong, but that's the way we think of it. We think of wise people as a person who's got his head or her head stuck in a book. We think of Plato and Aristotle and Socrates or Socrates. We think of the people of days gone by who in the way that they lived, they were brilliant in their understanding of life. And that's what we tend to think of when we think of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. But when the Hebrew writers say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom, their word for knowledge is not primarily a cognitive or an intellectual knowledge. 
It's relational. The word da'at means not just to know something from your neck up. It means to know someone in a relational sense. And the important thing that we need to grasp is that when the writer of the book of Proverbs, Solomon as he compiled most of these, and these other proverb writers, when they give us this information and these proverbs and these insights, they don't make sense outside of a relationship with God. In other words, we can think of all sort of proverbs, right? Uh, you know, a stitch in time saves nine. Or, or Ben Franklin's uh, early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy and wise. How about this one? This is a, a good one from Mark Twain. Always do right. This will gratify some and astonish others. Interesting insights, right? And we could make some more. I remember working for a guy. Uh, he, was, he was a landscaper, and he would give little tidbits over the years and pieces of wisdom. Here was one of my favorites. He said, it'll feel better when it quits hurting. Some of you will get that when you get home. Told my boys that after pulling splinters out of their finger, they don't get it. They still haven't gotten it to this day. Or how about this one? Here's a piece of advice. Don't pet a burning dog. Yeah, I didn't get that one either. But anyway, the point is, we can come up with Proverbs. And if we're not careful, what we'll do, we'll go through the book of Proverbs and we'll read them isolated as, okay, we can learn a little bit of wisdom. We'll, we'll handle our money a little bit better. Or maybe we'll be a better husband or wife or a better parent. Maybe we'll learn how to do things a little bit better in the world. And, and yeah, that can happen. There, there's no doubt about that. But as followers of Jesus, we want to be careful not to isolate the insights from the foundation of the insights. And, and Solomon says it very clearly here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Folks, we're not going to have the wisdom and insight to make right decisions in the gray areas of life. And by the way, aren't there a lot? There are some things we know very clearly we're supposed to do and not supposed to do. But most of my decisions fall outside of uh, moral right and wrong choices. Those kind of decisions are kind of already made for me. If we're a follower of Jesus, I know I'm not going to do this because it's immoral. But what about all of these things in our lives that are gray areas? How do we know what to do? Well, if we want wisdom and insight from the book of Proverbs and other places in Scripture, what do we have to do? We have to begin it with a relationship. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What is the fear of the Lord? Let me give you a little uh, story that kind of amplifies this. I'm indebted to Jerry Bridges for this in his book, The Joy of Fearing God. He described fear this way. He talked about a particular sergeant, uh, Sergeant Butch McGregor. Well, he wasn't sergeant when he joined the Marine Corps. He was, uh, I don't know what you call him particularly, but he was in boot camp. So he was learning to deal with the challenges of Marine Corps boot camp. He was six foot four, 200 pounds. He was a strapping young man. So he thought, I'm going to go serve my country. And I'm going to get stronger and get better and get bigger. And of course, after several weeks of tongue lashings and 50 push-ups for any small infraction, he was starting to question whether or not the Marine Corps was the right decision for him. But he stuck it out. He stuck it out long enough for the general of the Marine Corps training unit where he was to come by that day to see his particular basic training corps. And of course, his sergeants were more uh, attuned to details and wanted everything to be perfect that day that the Marine Corps general or the general of that particular unit came by. 
story goes that uh, McGregor was standing there at attention, waiting for the general to walk by. And the general walked by, and as he walked by, he turned and looked directly into Private McGregor's eye with a steely focus, and he asked him a question. And this six foot four, 200 pound man stood there in fear and in awe of the fact that the general was standing right in front of him asking a question. That's one aspect of what it means to fear the Lord. As the story goes on, uh, Private McGregor finished boot camp, went on and became, went to training school to, to drive, and he became a very good driver. And as luck would have it, or Providence would have it, Private McGregor was assigned to be the driver for the new general, who happened to be the same General Collins, who was the general of his, uh, of his core training, training institution. He moved up in rank and moved up in responsibility, and Private McGregor had the opportunity to become Sergeant McGregor and drive for the general. And in his course of driving the general around, he got to notice that General Collins was not just someone who would instill fear and awe by his presence and his acumen, but that he was a leader of men, that he listened and interacted with those around him well, that he learned from them as he taught them, that he guided and instructed, but that he kept a tight hand on everything. And so Sergeant McGregor developed more than just a fear of General Collins, he developed an admiration and respect for General Collins. He, he came to, to acknowledge that this man was someone that not only was he supposed to serve because it was the code of military law and he was a subservient, but he wanted to serve because he respected this man greatly. Then war broke out. And Sergeant McGregor had the responsibility of driving General Collins around during wartime. On a particular instance in war he was driving the general's jeep and they hit a landmine and the jeep flipped over throwing the general out of the jeep and trapping sergeant mcgregor under the jeep injured and risking his life general collins crawled to the jeep and pulled sergeant mcgregor out from under the jeep and made sure that he was safe and alive the general recovered from his injuries more quickly than Sergeant McGregor did. Sergeant McGregor during wartime was uh, getting better in the field hospital. And during all the responsibilities, even with all the responsibilities that General Collins had as a general leading troops and guiding and making decisions, he made time to go to the field hospital to check on Sergeant McGregor. And the, the third aspect of what it means to fear the Lord occurred in that moment when Sergeant McGregor not only had fear and awe for his commanding officer, not only had respect for his leadership acumen, but he developed a love, genuine love, for his general because he realized his general loved him and valued him and took care of him by pulling him out and rescuing him. Folks, when we think of the fear of the Lord, we're tempted to think that all we need to do is bow and close our eyes because God is great and powerful and He could strike us dead with a lightning bolt. By the way, God is very capable of doing just that. But that's not all there is to know about God. We should fear the Lord because He is great. Do you realize that? God is greater than we could ever imagine. Read the Bible. Look at Genesis and look at Isaiah and look at Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Look at the book of Revelation. God is great. 
His rule over creation is grand. He is magnificent. He is wonderful. He is bigger than you can imagine. And so we should fear the Lord because He is great. We should fear the Lord because He is glorious. Now, and we talked a little bit about that in our first Peter series. God wants to share His glory with us. He wants to invite us into His presence. But when we think about all of the ways that God is glorious, Isaiah chapter 6, when he saw God in His transcendent majesty and His holiness, Isaiah didn't run up to Him and fist bump Him like a buddy. He didn't pat him on the shoulder and say, hey, thanks, big guy, for for talking to me and giving me these prophecies. No, Isaiah fell on his face as though he were dead. And he cried out and said, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I am undone. I am unholy. Ezekiel had the same reaction. John, who knew Jesus personally, when he saw Jesus in his unfettered glory in the book of Revelation chapter 1, fell at his feet as though dead until Jesus reached down and raised him up. Let me tell you something. We should fear the Lord because his glory is far more amazing than we will ever, ever imagine until we stand in his presence. We should fear the Lord because he is great, because he is glorious, but also because he is full of grace. You realize none of us deserve to be here talked about this a little last week. God has mended us. God has taken broken people and, and, met, and taken the messes we've made and he's made something out of the messes that we've made in our lives and he's solved our issues, forgiven our sins, shown us grace and shown us mercy. And I want to tell you, he does that day after day after day. And do you know what that ought to drive us to do? It ought to drive us to fear the Lord, to walk every day in a sense of, you know what? The way I need to decide how to live my life is based on my walk with God. And that is tremendously important for the book of Proverbs. If we isolate the lessons we're going to learn in the various different themes of the book of Proverbs, if we just isolate those and say, okay, anybody can learn from this. Anybody can be a better husband or father or a better parent or a better employee or deal with their money better. Yeah, we can learn a little bit from that. But if we separate that from the relationship that we have with Almighty God, if we separate that from the fear of the Lord, then here's what we're going to do. We're just going to make ourselves a list that we're not going to abide by very well. The book of Proverbs works, but it works within the people that God has chosen and called out. It works because when we fear the Lord, and that's the foundation of our abiding by wisdom, then we can actually put wisdom in our lives and live by it appropriately. So I want to ask you to do something as we read through these Proverbs. Always keep in mind that the foundation for anything that we're going to talk about is the fear of the Lord, is acknowledging that God is great and grand and majestic and wonderful, and He invites us to know Him and to follow Him and trust Him. Theme number one is relationship. Theme number two is contrast. One of the things we're going to see in the book of Proverbs is a constant interplay between the wise and the foolish, between the simpleton and the person who listens to instruction. Notice verse 1, chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's for those of us that want wisdom and understanding, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools don't want to hear what they need to do. They don't want to listen. They reject, and there are several words throughout the book of Proverbs used for the fool. Uh, they mean things as varied as stubborn and stupid to si- simply willful and ignorant. 
But, but the person who owns this, and this is the key here, the word despises is a relational term. The fool is the one that says, I'm not going to hear and heed because I want to do things my own way. And the contrast is this, as Solomon writes, and he's going to write as a father to a son, he's going to write in other frames of references. As he writes to us, as we learn from these Proverbs, one of the things we need to grasp is that we have an option. We have an option to do the wise thing, or we have an option to do the foolish thing. Moreover, as we look further into the book of Proverbs, we're going to see some other aspects of contrast. In some places, the writer, Solomon, specifically identifies or personifies wisdom with a woman, and he personifies folly as a woman. He's not being sexist in those uses of the personification. He's giving us pictures. He's giving us somebody to follow after. And those contrasts are going to be important as we work through some of these themes because they help us identify, okay, how is it that we need to live our lives? How is it that we need to respond and react? Are we going to listen to Lady Folly when she calls out and invites us to do the foolish thing? Or are we going to listen to Lady Wisdom when she calls out and gives us insight and understanding so that we can do the right thing? So we need to understand relationship. The relationship that we have with God permeates our understanding of the book of Proverbs. Let me say this very clearly. If you do not have a relationship with the living God, I think you may learn a thing or two from the book of Proverbs. But you're not really going to be helped and not really going to be a wise person. Because the wisest thing you can ever do is follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior and receive His forgiveness and eternal life. We need to understand contrast. Many, many times, if not in every sermon, there are going to be two options. There's going to be the option of the wise and the option of the foolish so we need to think about that as we look at our, these Proverbs. Thirdly and lastly, we need to see the theme of obedience. Obedience. I remember thinking years ago about how do we know what to do with our lives? You know, there are people who, who are ignorant, general, genuinely ignorant. They don't know what to do, right? And if you don't know what to do, you either are paralyzed by indecision or you make the wrong decision. And then there are some people who know what to do, right? They, they know exactly what they're supposed to do. And so the problem is not their lack of knowledge. The problem is something else, something deeper. And then there are the people who know what to do and do it. And those are the people that Solomon is writing to, he, writing for. He's writing for the people who will not only say, all right, I, I need some guidance in how to handle this area of my life, and I want wisdom, and I want to kind of unpack what this means for me, and this proverb, and this theme, and this idea, and this pithy statement. I want to see how this general truth makes sense of my life in the workplace, or in the marketplace, or in my, in my personal economy, and economic decisions, or in my family. I want to see how that works out, but I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to practice it. See, the foolish person can be just as foolish after reading the book of Proverbs uh, as they can without ever reading the book of Proverbs. Reading it is not the key. Applying it is the key. And I can prove to you that that's true. The book of Proverbs is, finds itself in redemption history uh, from Solomon, at least the, the starting point of it being compiled finds itself from Solomon. Solomon was David's son who prayed for wisdom, who sought the Lord. And God, I'm thankful, led him to compile these Proverbs. But Solomon's 
book of Proverbs is not the only book that he wrote in the Bible. He also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a horribly challenging book. It represents the glorious extent of human wisdom. And Solomon got to the end of his life and had it all and knew it all by, by a certain degree and experienced it all. And he came to the end of his life and he says, it's vanity, it's vanity, it's vanity. Why is that? What was it that changed? Why couldn't Solomon have ended on a more happy note, recognition of this life of wisdom led somewhere? Because at some point, I don't know when that point was, he stopped practicing what he preached. At some point in Solomon's life, he decided he was no longer going to fear the Lord. He was no longer going to read his own Proverbs. He was no longer going to apply them into his own life. And he decided, okay, I'll have 700 wives and I'll have 300 concubines and, and, and I'll, I will make alliances with the nations around me. I will bring peace to the region and peace to my country. I will do all of these things to help everything out. And, and what that did for him is it led him away from, get this, the Lord. Solomon's problem was that he stopped fearing God. He stopped fearing the I am, the one who knew him and the one he was supposed to know. And that led him to idolatry, that led him to folly, that led him to uh, making decisions that we look back on and think, how can that be the wisest person that ever lived? Folks, if Solomon can write the book, Solomon can pray the prayer and get the wisdom of God, if Solomon can be the one that says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and later in his life, turn away from God and not obey God, I promise you, we're just as capable of doing that ourselves. I invite you to look at a different model. Don't look at Solomon as your model and example. Look at Jesus as your example and model. The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that Jesus is the wisdom of God. No one was wiser than Jesus. In fact, when he interacted with people all throughout the Gospels, they praised him saying, no one speaks like this. No one talks with authority like this. No one does these things. When Jesus was questioned with questions none of us would know how to answer, he retorted with a question that no one could reply to. He was full of wisdom, God's wisdom, glorious wisdom, eternal wisdom. And you know where that wisdom led him? It led him to obey his heavenly father on a cruel cross. So that your folly could be paid for and your sin could be forgiven and your unwise decisions could be washed away. Our model should be Jesus. Why should it be Jesus? Because as we look at these Proverbs and see how we're to live our lives and who we're to follow and what we're to do, we need to always have in mind that it's relational. It's not so much about me making the best decision for my situation today. That's a part of it, but that's done inside of the relationship that I have with Jesus who wants me to follow him and wants me to look to him and wants me to see him in a way that will protect me from some decisions that might ruin my life or ruin the lives of others. So keep those themes in mind, the themes of obedience, the themes of contrast, and the theme of relationship. If you don't have a relationship with King Jesus, would you trust him to be your savior? Or, or maybe you've got one of those situations right now. I've got a few of them in my life. What do I do? What decision do I make? How do I, how do I handle this circumstance? How do I deal with this? Here's what I do when I get to one of those situations. When I'm wise, I get on my knees and I talk to the one who knows everything. 
And I pray to him and I ask him for wisdom. The book of James says, ask for wisdom and God will give it. Well, he's given us a book, the book of Proverbs. He's given us insight. He's given us his Holy Spirit. Maybe you find yourself in one of those circumstances where you need wisdom. Come talk to God about it. Maybe that's just simply the invitation for all of us. Bring your burden to him, ask him for wisdom, and trust that he'll grant it. Stand with me, if you will, as we close in an invitation. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you that you care about us enough to give us a book that would provide even insights into daily living, the way that we interact with bosses and family members and neighbors, the way that we interact with decisions that we're unsure of what to make. I pray, Lord, for wisdom. I know that I'm going to be helped as we work through these passages of Scripture. And I pray, Lord, that you would help those in our congregation, those that are watching, to know what to do, to know what decisions to make. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to obey you, to be willing to say, okay, I don't just know what to do, but I'm going to live it out. More than that, Father, I pray that we would all come to you in a place of fear, adoration, worship, and surrender. Love. Praise, acknowledgement of who you are, for wisdom begins with the fear of you. Teach us, Lord God, to see you for who you are, to glorify you and to praise you, to fear you, that we may walk with you faithfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. 